so the eternal taboo of English nationalism. Um, obviously, we are immediately racists for even discussing the subject. Um, but I would like to talk about English nationalism as opposed to British nationalism, what it means, why we're not allowed to talk about it, why, for some reason, the media will never talk about it unless they're showing photos of St. George's crosses outside Counterhouse windows, uh, insinuating and inferring racists live here. Um, what is it about English nationalism that's so unapproachable? When it's okay to be Scottish or Welsh or Irish, but you you're not allowed to be English. All Englishmen must be British. Well, I think this is uh, a fundamental problem: is the fact that Englishness has always been associated with Britishness by definition. Uh, if we think about um, if we think about how you know, if we think about the nineteenth century when they spoke about Britain. They are, they, or, or they never use the term United Kingdom. They would either use the term Great Britain, or mostly they'd say England. You know, England was in effect Britain in, in how people spoke about it, both in a political and a geographical sense. People always considered England to be Britain, or the or the British Empire, for example. England was the home of that. So I think because England has always been so associated with the idea of Britain and Britishness. As we started to uh, devolve power away from uh, uh, from Parliament, from Westminster, naturally we've got these kind of um, quasi uh, nation states that have come up with Wales and um, with Scotland, um, and obviously because uh, Scotland uh, and Wales have kind of Celtic, kind of romantic mythologies about their nations their countries it's kind of seen almost like a tribe in the amazon that oh we must protect them we must protect them from the evil usurpers you know of um of their countries who have been controlling them the kind of imperialistic argument that the people on the left would use i think that's one of the main reasons why english the english in particular are always um an exception um in this that they can't be proud of it because they are the historical bad guys to the left's idea, anyway. Um, England, centre of the British Empire, centre of the um, the Kingdom of England, obviously took over Wales and mm. Scotland at certain parts. And the Act of Union has always seen, rather than the Scottish bankrupting themselves with misadventure, and it, actually, funny enough, they bankrupted themselves with colonial missions in yes. in Central America, which was the reason why they came to the English and got them bailed out. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than thinking about it like that, that the Scottish were incredibly imperialistic. <laughs> The romanticism is based off Braveheart, that kind of nonsense. Um, and so they are seen as the eternal victims rather than um, the kind of colonial, um, actually the, the, the actual, the front kind of the vanguard, like the Scottish were incredibly imperialistic. But in the leftist narrative, they're not. It's always seen as the English are bad. They took over these countries. England's always bad and they've never lost anything kind of subconsciously. That's it as, as well. The English have never been beaten by anyone. Mm. So, you know, there's no romance of defeat that like there is in Scotland that's kind of encapsulated with Braveheart. So it's the same with all of these. It's the same with the Irish, of course, uh, the English. Obviously, actually, to be fair, the English really did just move a lot of Scots and English and made plantations in Northern Ireland. Like, that is why we have Northern Ireland. Um, but again, it's that's that's why you can talk about Irish, um, Irish nationalism and why, you know, the IRA is okay in Corbyn's book. It's because they're an active, they're they're an active revolutionaries against the imperial imperialistic English. Mm. You know that's okay. 
yeah, but the British obviously can't leave the European Union. Um, also, Corbyn's actually consistent on this, but the most of the left aren't in the sense that, oh, you know, uh, you can't be nationalist or believe in sovereignty for your own country. That's that's bad. The English can't do that. That's bad. Um, but obviously, the Irish leaving the uh, United Kingdom is fine. You know, that tour type of nationalism's fine. I think it's basically because England's always been the the guys won, so they're naturally the bad guys. That's that's where I think it kind of comes from. Yeah, I, th- I think there's definitely merit to to the argument. I sort of look at these things a slightly different way. You sort of touched on it lightly there. I think that so many countries interchangeably use the terms uh, Britain and England that Britain means England and vice versa, and I think we use it a lot ourselves. A lot of a lot of people, a lot of people in England refer to themselves as being British, whereas a lot of people in Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland don't they, you know they 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 know they're in Britain but they see themselves as being more a member of a constituent part um mm. and I think and I think therein lies a bit of a problem I I think we may have I'm not saying that the left haven't exploited this because they most certainly have done but I think we may have laid the groundwork for this ourselves I'm worried that by making Britishness just Englishness um, as interchangeable terms that actually the the only way that the the Scots and the Welsh uh, and the Northern Irish can get any sort of recognition that they have any level of difference as a people is by using their own um, more localized national labels that actually there's and, and it's a shame on us as well because maybe Englishness doesn't really stand for anything anymore because it's just all incorporated under Britishness. Mm. That's that's interesting. But one of the things I'd say is it's it's very um is that actually when you look at these surveys of attitudes kind of values that British people have they're actually incredibly uh, English people have they're incredibly common with other parts of the of the United Kingdom or actually incredibly similar. The it's always the idea that all the English are kind of um they're all kind of kind of a uh, Thatcherites in in, in in cricket whites. Um and the Scottish <laughs> are kind of like these um like Glasgow dock workers, you know, shipbuilders, kind of, you know, um, down at the down at the Workers Association or something like that, or in a union. And it's actually not like that at all. The Scottish and the the English and the Welsh have incredibly similar attitudes. Um, uh, and even though you know, in things when you look at stuff like Brexit, in fact, you have to remember, like forty percent of Scots voted to leave the European Union, which you wouldn't have really thought, would you, if you heard all of the. The rubbish that comes out from the media how scotland's like this progressive center it's really not actually um we're all pretty similar and there are other divisions that are more important such as city and countryside which are much more the bigger division lines in terms of values so mm. the idea that there's this englishness and this scottishness and this welshness i don't actually think that i think there's an argument you could say that english the english gentlemanly values isn't isn't is actually quite an specifically english characteristic but there've been many scots and welsh people who have encapsulated those values you know you think people like burke i think there's some interesting things here actually you know burke's an irishman who comes over people like oscar wilde all these people that have become kind of the epitome of englishness or those values were irish (laughs) someone like walter scott actually encapsulated english values better than any englishman has um, with with his books, his kind of sh- his books on chivalry. Um, so I think I think it's it's a really tricky subject because it is really hard to 
detangle first what is in, what is in the English state or there's no there's no English state but how did it get so tangled up because I think that's the part of the problem isn't it and as you're saying we use words incorrectly now and Americans always say England to mean United Kingdom and it kind of becomes its own it, it becomes a thing of its own and it really yeah. does actually we started doing the in the first place and now people foreign countries start doing it to us you know for example the french always call us the anglais you know um a lot of them than, yeah than, uh, uh, a lot of languages Britain, don't even have a lot of languages don't even have britain <laughs> they mm, they have england mm, yeah, and they yeah. mean they mean yeah. britain when they say it it's it's an age-old yeah. problem but there used to be um this notion of englishness Right, I'm not suggesting that the you know the differences are minor. I mean that's the point, right? We are a United Kingdom because we are basically the same people. You know that's that's the yes, whole reason yes. that these these four nations have come together. Um, it makes no sense to me that you know that that Britishness itself has no value. But I do think that there is something distinctly English. Something. It's hard to even it's hard to even articulate really, but there's something that binds the southeast, the southwest, and the north of England together, which just doesn't really exist uh, in Wales or in Scotland or in Northern Ireland. There's a sort of a less willingness to speak plainly and less of a um, willingness to I don't want to say upset because that makes it sound like everyone else is really aggressive, but there's you know there's mm. people are more timid and. Um, slightly more scheming um, and you know I think the mm. English are more genteel and you know I think you know it's not all positive but I think there is probably something there that you can etch out as Englishness well I, I think I think if there's one thing that I'd say that that um, typifies Englishness is English literature um, I think that whole uh, legacy of English literature, specifically kind of 18th and 19th century literature, but also poetry as well, was always quite distinctive, distinctive, uh, distinctive, so distinctly English mm. rather than British. And I would, I think people most would mostly agree that when we think about things like um, whether you uh, like the authors or not, but you're thinking of all the classic literature, um, you know, someone like Charles Dickens or. Um, uh, all of the uh, female writers who did, not, you know, all the novelists. Um, that it all seems quite English to me, and it, it never seems that it's culturally, culturally British. Even, I, I, you know, people would say Oscar Wilde was an. It, people would mostly think he was an English author. There seemed to be a specific English literature which came from all of the English institutions that were there at the time. You know, you're thinking Oxbridge, you're thinking the public schools, mm. you're thinking grammar schools. These were all really distinct, distinctly English institutions in character, uh, in character, and they produced English people. And I think that's where the distortion comes from, where foreigners believe England, that they, they mistakenly use the term England, because they meet so many people that go through English institutions, to the point that someone like Burke or Oscar Wilde, because they went through English, the English system, even though they were Irish, they seemed English. Yeah, I think it's an it's there's a there's a there's a there's a problem there because ethnicity or that group and the cultural 
values can be transferred. You know, and ethnicity can't be transferred, but values can. So it's very common that you saw many English and Scot, um, sorry, many Welsh and Scottish and Irish becoming almost as if they were English because they encapsulated those values because they went to those institutions. So I think that's what part of the problem because the English institutions you have to remember, you know, it wasn't the English Parliament that was dissolved in the Act of uh, Union. Right. Yeah. It was the Scottish Parliament that got dissolved. You know, England was always the big player. And so the English institutions became British institutions. So there was naturally uh, there was naturally a continuation of those ideas and principles, which is why England seemed so dominant. Um, and that's why it was effectively considered the number one. You know, the, it effectively became the greater body that was in the United Kingdom or Great Britain. And so there's na- naturally that's just part of the problem is that you're going to have that confusion. Um, which always makes it difficult. And I think actually a lot of the Scottish and Welsh stuff like Plaid Cymru and the SNP is actually a, um, is a post, um, post ex facto rationalization. It's a, yes. we need to create a, we need to create a mythology, a national story, which explains why we're not happy anymore, or there's something wrong or whatever it is they think the problem is, that, that we need to create a myth. And what they've done is they've taken the narrative that we all shared, you know, that everyone shared really till 1950, 60, mm. um, to do with empire and parliament and democracy and all of those values of tradition and monarchy. They've basically taken the opposite. They've taken the same narrative, but they've twisted it to be contrarian. You know, they've, they've taken it to be on the opposite side. So that's why the SNP is pretty much anti-English and Plaid Cymru anti-English because they've taken the opposite side. When before people were believed in a union, so they believed in the union of the countries that become something where we all have the same narrative. They've decided to disentangle that with devol- um, de- devolution and made a counter-narrative to that. And I think that's um, where it. They are always, rather than being right-wing, they're always left-wing. You know, Plaid Cymru or the SNP is because it's actually a very convenient left-wing perspective on British history, because it's counter-narrative. Yeah, I think there there does the one thing that seems very common uh, amongst the SNP, Plaid Cymru, and Sinn Fein. The one thing that sort of binds them all is they like to paint a narrative that they were when it when Empire was going good, they were very proud British men and women. And they were they were very proud of their status in the union and all of this sort of stuff. Obviously, dipping off uh, somewhat <laughs> with the Irish yeah. uh, in the late nineteenth, early twentieth century. But now that we're past that era, uh, post sort of the nineteen seventies, there's this narrative that they were all horribly unwilling participants in empire and empire was this english thing that was made to happen without their <laughs> yeah, approval yeah. and yeah everything that they ever did you know um like we accidentally obviously england named uh, nova scotia nova scotia and all the rest of it yeah um you know <laughs> new south wales <laughs> Um, yeah. There's this notion that they were somehow dragged kicking and screaming into uh, the greatest empire uh, that the world has ever known. Um, and they yes. they hated yes. it at the time and, and they hate it just as much now. And that's definitely not a not a new thing. 
But yes, well, that, that's when I sorry, just and that's what I mean when I say kind of it's a post X facto narrative. Yeah. Is the sense that they've had to create a new mythology to justify why they no longer support empire and now they're against the idea in this kind of post nineteen sixties world. They've had to create a narrative that they were against it all along. When obviously everyone knows that they were they were for it, especially the Scottish. The Scottish were incredibly buccaneering. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, so in, they in were India, proud. everywhere, they were very yeah. proud of the fact that that. Uh, Edinburgh was considered the second city of empire, not exactly. not yeah, yeah, Manchester exactly. or Birmingham, but Edinburgh. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. yeah I do Absolutely. think that's nonsense. So I mean, one of the things that is very different between England and the other constituent parts is its population, right? I mean, London's population is larger than Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland combined, I believe. If not, yes. it's thereabouts. It's it's you know, London alone is absolutely massive. Let alone the the southeast of England alone compared to the rest. So maybe part of the nationalism of Scotland and Wales is because the, the, the population just really isn't that big. It's I think it's more mm. common. There's very few people who are uh, sort of uh, sort of proud Aberdeenshireans. You know, they're all they're all sort of proud Scotsmen, but it's much more common in England to be sort of, to be proud from being from London or from Devon and Cornwall or from, you know, Manchester or Newcastle, um, you know, or just Lancashire in general, Yorkshire, you know, like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe these sorts of, there's this big void in English nationalism because actually England's population is, is so big that there are more noticeable differences between the different parts of England itself, and therefore people identify actually with their, their county boundaries more than than the actual nation. I think that's a fair point. I, I, I definitely would um, say slightly to the contrary that actually if you give the Scottish and the Irish reasons to, to hate each other, they'll find reasons. You know, <laughs> speaking in Ireland, in Ireland, Ireland in particular, I think it really you can divide as many people as possible. What What's the key? The key thing is um, is an is a historical narrative, which is fundamental to any nation state, to any country, is to have a historical narrative which the majority of people can agree with. You need a national history, a, 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 a narrative, a vision of where the country's been and where it's going. Mm. Um, yes, and um, one of the problems we have in, in the United Kingdom generally and why we are kind of slowly detaching, although I think it might have slowed a bit, but the, one of the reasons why we're detaching is because Britain no longer has a national vision. And Brexit could be that. But I don't really think with a political class that we've got someone who can articulate it. But because of the end of empire, the United Kingdom was in effect, David Starkey has talked about this, you know, the, the British Empire and Britishness or Britain was always used for export outside of the British Isles. Yeah, it yeah. was used as, so when the Scots and the English and Irish went around India or North America or Australasia, etc. That's what they used the term. They weren't English, they weren't Scottish, they were British. They came from a place and that was their almost like their export name. But in, internally, it was always the same. There were always Scottish and English and Irish and the, and the Welsh, we were all with their distinctive cultures. And it kind of unified to become British, and because Britain, Britain was a success, and the export, you know, in, in the in the values of the time, the British Empire was so successful, everyone was kind of happy. And it was only, as you were saying, it's only when it's been bad now that we've had this kind of um, kind of introspection of what is Britishness and Englishness and and stuff like that. And because of devolution, the Sc- they've all, they've been in the driving seat. The Scottish and the Welsh and the Irish have been in the in the driving seat of defining the new rules for mm. this 
this settlement. Well, the English haven't had that. And part of the problem is, I think, again, I'm not I'm not particularly in favour of an English parliament because the British parliament is the English parliament. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't understand why we've got to create new English institutions where we've got them all there now. The problem was that they turned from English to British institutions, not that we need new Eng English institutions, I would say. I don't particularly want another parliament, you know, of, <laughs> to define what it is to be English. I, 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 that seems horrible to me. I, it really doesn't seem to be um, a very English thing to do, actually. <laughs> yeah, I have. I actually have a bit of hope on this front. I mean, we're diverging the topic slightly, but I I do have a bit of hope that um, these these devolved parliaments will sort of exhaust themselves out i think what um i think i might be wrong here but i think two years in a row now uh, the welsh people have been in majority favor of ditching the welsh assembly and mm. i think yep. more and more scotland's i think it's probably just getting a little bit bored with it it doesn't really feel like it because of the way the media works but actually i think a lot of people have realized that all the Scottish Parliament has done is meant every time the SNP fails, they just go, oh, that's because of Westminster for some reason. And then every time they look at Westminster, yeah. Westminster goes, oh, well, the Scottish Parliament could have dealt with that, so it's not our problem either. So we've actually ended up in this scenario where no one's really accountable for anything, and that's that defeats the yeah. complete purpose of democracy and politicians. Yeah. So I, I have a little bit well, of thing... favour with this sort of thing. but I, I do, too. Yeah, because uh, the British narrative still exists. It just needs someone to re-image it for the 21st century, I think. And that's the process we're waiting to happen now. And I think in this lull, where we're waiting, we're still in a state of national shock after the loss of empire. I think we will find a new vision or, or value or mission to achieve. Um, and in that case, if we fashion something cohesive and every, most people are on, on board, I think people will just start seeing the Welsh Assembly and the Scottish Assembly as just these parochial committees that don't achieve anything. There's no reason why those decisions can't be made in Westminster with Welsh and Scottish MPs in some sort of committee. There's no reason at all that couldn't be done. You don't need some proportional representative assembly to make those decisions. Why have we got two levels of representation? It's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense, well, in my opinion. <laughs> three if you include the MEPs. <laughs> well, yeah, they're going now. Yeah. One more to go. That's... One more to go. One to, one to, we, one to yeah, go. Sh um, so... sh should we get more onto Englishness again? Because I think uh, there's, yeah, there's so much to discuss just about Englishness in particular, uh, or English nationalism and why it's so toxic. Um, there's so much to talk about, actually. So, yeah, one of the things... One of the things that I would like to talk about is I think there is some utility in having a separate English identity. I don't, and, and I, what I sort of would like is almost like a federal system, if that makes sense, but in values. Mm -hmm. So I quite like the notion of British identity being the things that we all agree on, which make up the largest part of, of English, Scottish, Welsh, Irish identities. Um, but there, I would, you know, I feel like the Eng the notion of English nationalism can hold the part of the English character that doesn't fit um, into Scottish, Welsh, and Irish people. Um, the problem we've hmm. got, of course, is that in this modern day, English, na if you declare yourself an English nationalist, is tantamount to declaring yourself a white supremacist. Um, and to be xenophobic and to have a hatred of of difference now that's not to say the people who do declare themselves that have those views but that is now the image that's conjured when you think of this because of you know a long sustained campaign by 
by you know a cabal of different people so how how can we reclaim how can the how can the average englishman reclaim english nationalism away from these sort of unsavory stereotypes and sort of stop the notion of English nationalism being used as just sort of a punch bag for certain political agendas. Why can't everybody, left and right, own English nationalism? It's, it's very odd. Uh, that, uh, yeah, where to start? So <laughs> I think first thing is, is that I think I'd make some just I'd just point some things out. So whether we I, I don't know if we want to we want to talk about english nationalism i think we want to talk about what it means to be english and what england is um whether that's english nationalism i, I don't know if it's in terms of the, the, the definition yeah but we want i, I, I yeah yeah i'm not, I'm not I would talking say about english separatism i'm not talking about leave england no leave no 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 exactly exactly so talking about things that are particularly english so um english culture english um particularly, I think, the poetry of England and, and the literature that was done in the 18th, 19th century, talking about the values of England, the, his, the history of England, um, the, the values that have been strongly English. Um, we don't talk about it because there's no real reason to talk about it, at least in the kind of general discussions of day-to-day -day politics. I don't think people feel that like there's a need to talk about these values. I think we should be more distinctive in what is English and actually bringing out what are the best things of Englishness that are mostly just assumed to be British or just normality. Mm. I do think we do need to make a stronger case for that. Um, those, those, especially, I think, the cultural and historical narratives of England. Um, I'm a bit of a romantic, personally. I really do think of England as like the sceptered isle. Um, I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because, you know, um, a love for the countryside, those types of things, love for particularly the romantic poets and and those sorts of things but i really do have quite a romantic view of england and i mean england i don't mm. mean scotland or ireland that was the that's how people used to speak about england there was a very strong idea of what england was and the kind of english ideal you know um and that was encapsulated also with the kind of english gentleman again which is is really the values of england which we don't really talk about anymore but people never call never say a british gentleman do they which no. is quite interesting they never. never say a british gentleman they always say an english gentleman i i wonder why that is again i think it's the institutions that brought about those that character and those values um it wasn't necessarily that they were english it was there was something about england and you can see in the countryside the kind of um the very uh kind of green peaceful countryside you know old churches and villages um the kind of also was inter intertwined with those values of the english gentleman very genteel very chivalrous very um almost modest and courteous there's no doubt that the environment of england created those values but we never talk about that you know we never talk about the specific history of england and the cultural narrative um because if we do talk about it, it is Britain. You know, we talk about the history of Britain, don't we? We don't really talk about the history of England. Yeah, um, it's, it's considered safe to and, do so, right? It's considered safe to talk about mm. things in a British context. So this is like the thrust mm. of my question: is why? Why is that? Why? Why do we hand over the identity of England, and why do we hand over English nationalism to mm. these particularly unsavoury types? Why? 
aren't we allowed to talk about that and have ownership of that and say whether I'm left-wing or right-wing, whether I'm globalist or nationalist or whatever it may be, you know, I live in England, these are some things unique to me, um, I cherish them, I savour them, I value them, and I I want to be able to talk about it in that context in a way that is exclusionary to to the Scottish and the Welsh and the Irish because it's not applicable to them. Well, I, I would I would hazard I guess and say Englishness or England is conservative, and I mean in the small c sense. I actually genuinely think, and people would agree, and this BBC survey agree. that was done recently would actually agree. You know, ideas of tradition, conservative values, family actually protestantism would have been considered the church of england you know people don't think about that the church of england you know why did we have a church of england um that's a completely different discussion but it's (laughs) intertwined with english identity actually a a specific uh a specific permutation of christianity Mm. the english have always had that value of um skepticism of being controlled or told what to do by people who weren't from the english England, English country, and was one of the reasons why we've left the European Union. Um, so those values are still there, um, definitely. Um, in fact, there's so many similarities between leaving the Roman Roman Catholic Church and the European Union. I think there's a massive amount of similarities with that, which is actually quite interesting. Um, but uh, I mean, it's, it's a really difficult one. Why haven't we talked about it? I would say it's because most of the people in society nowadays haven't been taught about it or understand it or just do not want to talk about it or understand it. In fact, many of them would consider it you know, kind of this um, traditionist, romantic, reactionary view of England. I don't think so. I think it's fundamental to understanding the country that we have today because it still exists. Yeah, um, I, I think there's many people on the left who don't want to talk about it because they do see it as the antithesis to everything that they believe. And so they're obviously they're never going to talk about something like that they don't want to bring it up you know they they want some sort of city-based utopia don't they mm. they don't want to talk about the countryside you know because that's you need to talk to foreigners people who come to england one of the things they always think, think about is the english countryside yeah but no it's not just some green it's not it's not just some greenery it's a green pleasant land you know you're thinking about the literature of the like someone like blake a very very strong idea of what the english countryside meant and was very against industrialization and understood the importance of not only the countryside, but the societies and the communities that were created because of that countryside. And that was all very, very English. And so people are uh, people on the left won't talk about these types of things because they fundamentally don't like the idea of some sort of community or ideal, English ideal, that really was fundamental, fundamental to the national self-image that people had about England until really the last century. So I think that, yeah, I think we need to recapture that as part of conservatism in general, but also a national, a national message, a national mission and history. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, uh, I think it's essential. I mean, there's, there's big differences between, I would say, let's say the southeast, the southwest, the Midlands and the north of England, you know, and I think strengthening any bonds as far as i'm concerned um within the nation should be a key objective of anyone who wants to call themselves conservative particularly if you want to call yourself unionist um mm. and actually i think as you know it's those 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 sort of strengthening of bonds should not just be happening between the different constituent parts of the uk but we really should be able to tie in what it is to be english to speak about the the condition of being english um 
I, I don't think we we just simply take the left at their word that being English means you hate all foreigners and put put the St George's cross outside your council house. You know, it's um, I think that's a, a really negative. Yeah. Um, it's the sort of it's the sort of horrendous class warfare that only Marxists can produce, where <laughs> very middle class people. Uh, dump all over the working class in their defense of the working class it's 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 insanity you know i think i think we should be yeah. able to talk about this um at the moment it's you know i i find english I, no, english identity and english nationalism just simply is not allowed to be discussed it simply cannot be and i feel like now even british identity is under attack i regularly hear oh well what does it even mean to be british anyway like the person saying it doesn't doesn't exactly know <laughs> everybody yeah, yeah, everybody yeah, knows yeah. exactly what that means but there's these sarcastic attacks like oh well that doesn't even mean anything um yeah sorry go on so i was just going to say the fundamental reason for that is that we have a idea of citizenship which is based on purely where you were born and I mean, if you do that and don't encapsulate any values in being a subject, because that's what we used to be in this country, and we, I, I think we still are, you know, yeah, yeah. we are British subjects, because we were part of some sort of nation, national history. We had an idea of who we were and an, and an identity, which wasn't based on race. It was based on this historical idea of England, yes. um, and which encapsulated so many different values as, as we've been talking about. But when, if you have a society where it's purely you live in a place called the United Kingdom of, Nor of, of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, of course people are going to have no idea what values they are. If they're purely here for, my, you know, if, if migrants come here purely for economic reasons, well, yeah, they're only good to associate with the country the economic benefits of living in that country. And that's why you end up with a system where the NHS is so revered. Well, it's one of the main benefits you get for living here. You know? yeah. <laughs> they're not going to think about the English ideal, are they? They're not going to be think about, thinking about those values and those traditions. They don't. They don't. They don't care. Uh, you know, most people and most most British people don't care because they haven't been taught about it or they don't want to know. There's no wonder that something like the NHS becomes so highly valued. It's because it's one of the main things you get out of your tax. Um, it's really not that. It's actually not that surprising. Mm, so actually, so, um, education we, really is is something very important here that actually maybe it's just that a large proportion of people just don't understand the value that's being eroded away at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that's why, uh, actually, I've, never, I've never actually thought about it in that way, but it actually makes a lot of sense. But I've never understood why the NHS is always so high on what pe people are so proud of to be British. Mm. But actually, when you don't think about it as some sort of collective post-Second World War social programme and actually think about it as a benefit, an economic benefit of having healthcare, it actually makes lots of sense. Of course, people value it because they're getting something out of the system. Mm. Well, they think they're, they are anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's another discussion. We'll part that discussion. Actually, if you think about it, that it's a very it's a very materialistic way of looking at a country. You know, you're not looking at it because of the values. I know when I'm thinking about Italy or France or Germany, there's some ideas. There are some either some some poets or some authors or some sort of ideology or ideas that immediately spring to me, and I know what it what it means to be French or I know what it means to be Italian. You know, there are these. They're not stereotypes. You know, not like a, a Frenchman with a beret and, and garlic. It's much more crystallized ideas. Um, and I, I think many people have the same idea about England too, or, or the United Kingdom as well. But they mostly just associate it with England. Yeah. Like they, they think of the English gentleman, they think London, they think 
you know, all of these very English ideas. Um, and I think if we don't educate people to understand that, firstly, we need to actually, if we're going to be able to tackle this problem, we need to just basically start talking about national identity. Because yes. if we're not even talking about that, then we're never going <laughs> to, we're never going to uh, actually un get people to understand what it means to be English. Um, so if we, yeah, if we believe in this, so you said earlier that British identity is an attack. I totally agree with you. What they're doing is they're refashioning British identity into be to being some sort of generic civic um, nationality, right? So it's basically, and you can see this in the surveys. You know, there's no. It's very obvious that. There are a majority of um, immigrants that come to this country. They find it difficult to call themselves English or Scottish. Oh, actually, no, that's probably not true. I think a lot of them are much more happy calling themselves Scottish than they are if they were in this, if they were to come to England instead to call themselves English. Because I think Englishness, because of the snobbery of the kind of upper middle class bourgeoisie, thinking it's basically football yobs, have created this idea that it is just the EDL, like English nationalism is the EDL. It's yeah you know, football hooligans. Um, and there's, this, there's kind of this snobbery about it. So people who, uh, migrants who've come here, so for example, an Indian, family that come over and they have kids in the United Kingdom, they have it in England, they would very much, they are very, very highly probably never to think of themselves as English Indians. Um, they would think of themselves pretty much as, as British Indians or British Pakistanis or whatever. Um, but I think if you go to Scotland, I think much more, especially my experiences in Scotland, you'd meet many people who from, from, for example, an Indian or Pakistani background, they would consider themselves Scottish first. I think they were much more likely to consider themselves Scottish than British. Or if they did, they would see themselves mutually as Scottish and British. Yeah. But I don't think you get the same thing in England. You don't get many English Pakistani people or, uh, you know, um, it's it's in England because we haven't been able to talk about it. It's Britishness has, or British nationality has come in to cover the gap, to fill the hole of the fact that English, the English citizen or English nationality doesn't exist or isn't fought for. Or not allowed Which is to quite be spoken for. I think, I think you are right. I think a, a large part of that reason is because it's okay to be Scottish and there's a really strong identity of being Scottish yes. and what that means. Um, whereas, you know, there's not... I think... I really do think that um, that English, English nationalism, English identity is something that's worth talking about and worth saving. And that's not in yes. the sort of way... It's not in the sort of way that happened in 2014 where, you know, Scotland voted to stay in the UK and the first thing we did was go, right, English, English, you know, vote English laws for, you know, whatever it was, English votes for English laws. Yeah. Not, not that sort of, you know, way that's exclusionary to other people. But we, I just think we, we, we are entitled to say, look, UK, we're just going to have an internal discussion about ourselves um, it's not at your expense. It's not about anything to do with you. But this country has changed significantly, and we want to have a think about what we are and what we mean, and what an Englishman is. And then we would like yeah. to hand yeah. over Britain to Britain again, <laughs> so that Britishness actually <laughs> yeah. means Britishness and not just Englishness. Because I think that's the flip side mm. of this. I think I think if you can do that, not only do English people feel like they have a sense of identity again, but you also can stop this uh the, you know that these sort of left wingers taking advantage of localized nationalism because there won't be quite a, such a strong feeling to being scottish if scots can 
personally identify something to being British. Whereas really, if you say in Scotland at the moment, oh, I'm British, it either means you can't stand the SNP or you actually just feel a lot more English than you do Scottish because of familial yes. blood or cultural ties. And actually, if we can hand back Britain to the other parts of the UK, it, do you know what I mean? It feels like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they don't have to be so uh, dogmatically Scottish or Welsh or Northern Irish anymore. Yes, well, I think that's actually a very similar, the kind of federal system of identity that you were suggesting mm. is actually very, very similar to what it used to be like, actually, in the peak of empire. Yeah. Um, I think that people very much, they felt themselves Scottish and English and Irish, etc. And they only considered themselves British when they were out in the colonies or out, out um, and about. And they also um, associated it with um, things like the military and the navy. You know, the British, the Royal Navy, very much from being uh, a creation of Henry VIII, became a awesome British institution. They thought about the military. They felt about the, you know, the foreign affairs, the military, the colonies, all these things that happen at a international level where the United Kingdom was grouped, or the different countries were grouped together. All these things enshrined what British was, you know, being British was. It was empire. It was, um, you know... Uh, big, strongest economy in the world. It was all of these great things that had happened. Or, well, uh, if a lefty gets hold of that and me associating the British Empire with great, <laughs> I'm going to get murdered. But uh, um, that's another topic. <laughs> but um, all these things that they thought were brilliant, um, that became British identity. But they still had their local identities. And the problem is, during that process, English identity became British identity. And now that that, that old British identity needs to be reinvented, there's nothing left to fall back upon. Yeah. So there just isn't a discussion. No one wants to talk about it. But in Scotland, what they've done is they've used the ne- they've they've done a, they've they reversed it and used a negative view of the historical past to create a new inclusive multicultural or purportedly inclusive multicultural idea of what it means to be Scottish. They've created this civic Scottish identity, um, which is um, the reason why it's very left wing. In its, in its idea and why the right is a unionist, unionist. Um, you know the right isn't suggesting a Scottish uh, kind of right wing view they're just going no we need to con- stay with the union Yeah, which is quite interesting um, because obviously the natural corollary of that would be Scotland would be independent in the end, and then it would just become an internal right wing left wing discussion in Scotland instead um, so I think um, so I think um that's very much what it was in the past. The problem we need to effectively recreate or bring back to prominence the idea of English identity, encapsulating the values of the past of what it meant to be English in the past. Because at some point that that thread's been lost, yes. and we need to pick it up again and redefine it. And as with most things, with the things we discuss, it really does come down to education. And if you have schools nowadays that are basically talking about, you know, I don't know if you saw that BBC. Um, youtube channel and the crap that they were coming out with um about oh every every the royals were german and stuff and so that basically britain is this multicultural paradise that oh, it has been, yeah. then we're all we're always going to have a problem because if kids are actually being teach this then unfortunately we've got a big issue we've got a big problem um these are the same uh, sorts of idiots can enshrine those things these are the same sorts of idiots who say that england is a nation of immigrants 
Uh, <laughs> oh yes, uh, I love that one. I really do. It's like, fantastic. Like, and they always go really? the Normans and the and the Saxons and the Romans, and they all, they don't seem to realise that they weren't coming through customs and getting <laughs> visas and applications to immigrate. That they were just you know uh, killing everyone who already lived here. Uh, and that's that's. I always love that. It's a great example of immigration. Yeah. I think it's always fantastic. <laughs> it um, always makes you laugh. That yeah. Um, um, this is it's it's very odd. It's very odd. I do think I think the message that we have to take away from this and I'm hoping the viewers will take away from this is it's okay to be English <laughs> it's yeah, okay absolutely. to be English God save the Queen, and, God save the Queen <laughs> of course and actually you know, <laughs> yeah. let's just I think people need to start thinking a bit more about is this principle is this idea is this behavior British or is it English and be comfortable in saying that this is English and don't allow either the left or the like ultra nationalist identitarian right to control what it means to be an english nationalist absolutely. because actually both of absolutely. them agree and uh, <laughs> um and they're fighting their war out on that battleground and i say once again let let the silent majority reign Oh, 